Hey, this is Joseph Thompson. Thanks for listening to the Open Spaces podcast. Why don't you sit back, relax, and join me as we take a journey together into wide open spaces. Hey, I'm really excited about today's episode because I want to talk about something that's really pertinent to stuff that's going on in our culture and in our world today. Because um, as we wrestle with the uncertainties of our constantly changing world, our fears, our insecurities, our humanity, all of this while trying to make sense of God's will and purpose for our lives, uh, for those of us who profess to be Christ followers, and especially in light of the ongoing global pandemic, even though to to watch some of the states in America, you'd think the pandemic is over and done with. But all of this constantly morphing and more virulent strains of the coronavirus, you have to ask the question, what should our attitude and approach be as Christ followers to all of these uncertainties that are going on in our world? Should we panic? Should we run for the hills? Should we barricade ourselves indoors and escape the plague? Uh, Thankfully, though, we don't have to figure out the answers to those questions ourselves, because the book of John answers them for us quite succinctly. In fact, in John chapter 1, verses 37 through 39, the Bible says, when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. So Jesus' first invitation to his would-be disciples before they became fully devoted followers of Christ was simply, come and see. Well, what's interesting is the call hasn't changed. When people first encounter Jesus, he still calls us first to come and see. So you might be asking, what does he call us to come and see? He invites us to come and see the place where he's staying. But in case you're still wondering, that place is you and I. If you profess to be a Christ follower, the Bible says he dwells in you and I. His dwelling place is the church. There's nothing cryptic about that. The body of Christ is the representation of Christ on earth. So he indwells us, the believer. Now, I know this immediately brings a couple of questions to mind. What do you and I look like as a habitation for divinity? And second, when people respond to his call, what do they see when they see us? Do we look anything like him? Now, amazingly, this call of Jesus is to come and see is actually only the introductory call to a relationship with him. As over time, that call shifts from come and see to come and die. Here's what the scripture says in John 16, just a few chapters after John 1. I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when, listen carefully, those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they've never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now, so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. 
So somehow, as followers of Christ, we need to embrace the principles that take us from come and see to come and die. And that space in between is fraught with uncertainty. So how do we do this? I'm glad you asked because I'm dying to tell you. First, it requires that we embrace the truth about Jesus and his love and purpose for our lives. Understanding that the gospel is good news, we must also recognize that there is no good story without a protagonist who experiences conflict. So let's re-examine the following verses in that light. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him may not be lost but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world guilty, but to save the world through him. In other words, God loved so much that he gave his only son as a sacrifice to save the world through him. Every story has a protagonist who experiences conflict. So that tells me that it requires a process by which we move ourselves and others from the elementary relational stage of come and see to the missional and visional place, to the missional and visional place of come and die. To be clear, we're all being called to die to self daily so that Jesus can live through us. And for each one of us, that will look different. In Paul's inimitable words, he says this, And why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I'd do this if I wasn't convinced of your resurrection and mine as guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah, Jesus? This can be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So Jesus is telling us, uh, uh, or Paul is telling us, that he looks death in the face daily because he knows and is convinced about the truth of resurrection that is to come for you and I as guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. Now, Jesus' process of dying daily involves standing against the prevalent truth of the day and speaking against the human tendency to build monuments to men. Uh, This is why he was so diametrically opposed to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who only wanted to erect monuments to themselves and their their own so-called spirituality. And he continued to batter down that false religion. He taught through parables, miracles, serving, and even integrity the way he lived. Remember that he actually paid taxes to Caesar, even though Rome's reign over Palestine was oppressive. He didn't incite the people to violence against Caesar and say, let's not pay taxes to Rome. He actually paid taxes. So part of our process will be a willingness to embrace uncertainty. In fact, When it all boils down to it, uncertainty is the reason why we need leaders. If our calling and purpose was simply about managing certainty, then we'd only need managers, not leaders. This was Jesus' principal idea behind the story of the talents. As you recall, if you've heard that story before, there was one of the guys who buried his talent. He was given one talent. One guy was given two, and another was given five. And the guy given two and the guy given five multiplied their talents, but the one given one simply 
buried it, and when his master returned from a long trip, this guy was actually castigated for simply managing what he had been given, what he'd been given, as opposed to multiplying it. Because God hasn't called us to manage certainty; He's called us to be fruitful in uncertainty. The uncertainties in life aren't going anywhere anytime soon. And that's about the only certainty I can guarantee. We will never have all the answers to all the questions that we're asking, but uncertainty is the arena in which great leaders shine. Now, it's interesting to note that we really struggle with, and in fact abhor, uncertainty, especially in our own lives. We need everything neatly tied up in a bow and predictable. Amazingly, though, the stories that we like best, the movies that we like best, even the stories of Scripture that we like best are the ones that are fraught with uncertainty and conflict. A story without tension, conflict, and uncertainty is often not at all interesting. Heck, even our favorite Bible stories, like I said, are the ones that are filled with tension, conflict, and uncertainty. So as we swallow that bitter pill... I would ask, what's the best way to navigate tension, conflict, and uncertainty in our lives? Well, the answer to that is simple, but it's not easy. Because we must remember that contrary to the impression created by the ever-circling hands on a clock, time is not actually cyclical, but linear, because we're not stuck in Groundhog Day, even though the movie wants us to think we are. This means that the story of humanity that God is telling, a story of which you and I are a part, may currently be in a chapter that's full of hardship and pain, conflict and tension, but this chapter will end. So let's explore this principle using the story of Joshua that's found in the book of Joshua, uh, beginning in chapter 1 and from verses 1 through 11. And the backstory is that Moses has led 6 million complaining, protesting Jews wandering through the desert for 40 years. They've had kids, they've filled up on manna burgers, they've drunk water from a rock, and now they're beginning to think that Moses has no idea where they're going. After 40 years, you might begin to wonder too. So they start to harass Moses and blame him and accuse him of taking them away from the comforts. You can't see me, but I'm doing the air quotes thing. The comforts of Egypt I mean, they just about drive Moses mad, so much so that at some point Moses ignores God's instructions and ends up not leading the people into the promised land as originally planned. And according to the scriptures, he dies and God buries his body. So let's pick up that story in progress. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, uh, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you that what I promised Moses will come to pass. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given you, from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. And then he says this, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors. Keep in mind, this is God having a conversation with Joshua. I I will keep in mind, 
Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, Joshua. Then commanded the officers of Israel, Go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, I want you to note the number of times that in this short discourse, God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. If you weren't counting, he said it four times. So as God gives Joshua instructions on how to proceed sans Moses, his instructions are not complicated. They are, in fact, very clear. But it will be hard. And so four times he reminds Joshua that strength and courage not fear, are prerequisites for the journey ahead. Have you ever thought about the fact that you don't need strength and courage to manage the familiar? You need those qualities to chart new and uncertain territory. So Joshua must step up to a new level of leading. Again, you may not have thought about this, but for 40 years in the wilderness, Joshua hasn't had to be responsible for leading or making decisions. He's just had to be faithful and obedient. All of the decisions are made by Moses. Now suddenly the reins of leadership are thrust upon Joshua, and in this unfamiliar climate of uncertainty, he's called to lead and make decisions that will determine an entire nation's survival. And all he has to go on is the word from God affirming his call and memories of Moses' instructions. So with no formal training or leadership experience to speak of, Joshua is called upon to lead the nation of Israel across the Jordan River. And he remembers how they responded to Moses when they seemingly stalled at the Red Sea. And I imagine that the tension rises. So here, my friends, in glorious technicolor, is my account of the conversation that ensued between Joshua and the people of Israel as they stood by the River Jordan. The people begin. How are we getting across, Josh? I don't know. People. Okay. So what do we do when we get there? Josh? I don't know. People. Will there be some place where we can shower, get a hot meal, a comfy bed? As you know, we haven't had a hot juicy burger in almost 40 years. And manna burger isn't quite the same thing. Josh? Um, I, I don't know. But you do know how to pack up your supplies and load up your donkeys, right? People, uh uh-huh. Josh, you still remember how to march in formation, right? People, uh uh-huh. Josh, then just pack up your stuff, get in line, and as soon as that pillar of fire changes to a cloud, just start marching in formation and head towards the Jordan. The truth is, Joshua didn't have all the answers. But he was confident that when their feet hit that river, God would meet them there. 
Plans change all the time. Uncertainty will guarantee that. But God's vision and purpose for our lives will never change. The instructions are not complicated, but they are hard. We must be willing to stretch ourselves if, if we must move from the elementary stages of come and see to the missional stages of come and die. So here are three key things we must account for in the midst of uncertainty. First, don't abandon the vision and fall in love with the plan. Because too many of us think the plan is as important as the vision. But the plan is yours. The vision is God's. Second, pray for wisdom and direction. Prayer is critical to shaping your journey, shaping everything that God has purposed for you. And third, understand and embrace the fact that leadership is not about making decisions on your own, but it's about owning those decisions once they're made. God gave Joshua the directions. And even when Joshua didn't fully understand and there was uh, some measure of uncertainty, he owned the decisions. So I guess, friends, um, as I bring this uh, time together to a close, I have one question that I would ask, and that is, do you want to manage or lead? Why does that matter, you might be asking? Simple. Because if you must lead, you must be willing to embrace uncertainty and just keep marching in formation. Keep doing what you know God has told you to do until he meets you right at that place where you think the impossible exists. Have a great rest of your weekend, and I'll speak to you next week. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for joining us on the Open Spaces podcast. If you enjoyed it, then please like it and share it with your friends. We'd really love to connect with you. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Open Spaces Podcast.